Training, mindset, integrity, incremental improvement. What can you do better today? Start right here with the Pendola Project. Hey now, welcome back everyone to the Pendola Project. I'm your host, Matt Pendola, and for your Monday motivation today, we're going to be talking about choking or, you know, like freezing in the moment. And where does that self-doubt really come from? Today, we are going to have our very special guest, Aaron Pendola, in with us. Not sure I'm a special guest at this point, but thank you for that. Yeah, you are, you are a part of Pendola Project podcast for sure. At this point, everybody knows that you are sort of the, the other end, the other perspective of things. We've gotten a lot of great feedback from people about how, you know what, Matt, I, I like what you have to say, but I think uh, Aaron sums it up a lot better than you do. I, you know, it's just, I take maybe 300 words to say something and then you, and then in, you know, 10 words, you kind of sum it up. And so it's a good combo. I, I'd like to think. I, I agree. Yes. All right. So when we're talking about our history, why do we learn in the first place that what we're doing should cause fear or why are we so nervous about performance? Now, this performance could be really a lot of different things. It could be how you perform in a test or how you perform when you're playing the guitar, how you perform when you're obviously in a basketball game or in competition of that nature as well. But got me thinking. I was talking with coaches from really all over the world yesterday and it's part of a group that I talked to with Dr. Del Cotter which if you haven't heard that podcast yet that's uh, episode 91 your performing edge and she gave a lot of great insight to these type of topics as well so listen to that when you get a chance but I thought to myself geez I think it goes all the way back to when we're kids and when we are trying to just have fun and play and well we're not trying are we we're just having fun with whatever we're doing. If, if Mia's learning guitar lessons, she's just enjoying that process. And she's not really comparing herself to what somebody else her age is, is doing, how they're playing the guitar. And she just finds joy in everything she's doing. It's such a sweet spot right now at eight years old. But I think that's where I started developing a lot of my fears, where I started to think more about how other people were better than me or how they were more coordinated than me. I didn't consider myself a very good athlete, even though I've always been very, very active and sort of nonstop and just never really could sit down for more than a few minutes at a time. But I didn't have the coordination and the athleticism that I felt like a lot of my peers had. And quite honestly, I feel like you have, Aaron. I, yeah, I probably coming from starting dance when I was nine, that gave me an advantage in that situation where I learned how to control my body at a very early age. But even like you're saying at that time at nine years old, I didn't think of it like that. You know, I was just having a good time and, um, I didn't start competing until I was around 11. So maybe about two years into, um, learning to dance. So by then I feel like I had a pretty good base you know two years in before you start competing and yeah by then you you do start having some of these issues come up in competition where you you start to get nervous and worried that you're going to mess something up and disappoint at least for me that was my fear is you didn't want to disappoint 
your teacher or you didn't want to disappoint your parents or your family that was coming to watch you. The, the disappointment factor, I think, was the biggest for me. I grew up with a gypsy mom. So we just traveled everywhere when I was younger for a long time. We even lived out of her Nova. I think it was a Nova, Chevy Nova, her car. And in fact, a uh, little quick story on that, but the bottom of the car in the back had, well, there was no bottom. You could actually put your feet to the ground. And my, uh, my friends, because she had this car all the way through high school, believe it or not. I mean, it, most time it didn't even uh, drive or, or didn't even, the engine didn't start, but uh, they would joke around like a Flintstone mobile. These days, that would never fly, but uh, that's that's kind of what we drove around in back then, and, and we were in Lake Tahoe, actually, living in the woods in a teepee that my mom uh, had made some friends with some people that helped her build a teepee out in the middle of the woods. She was just that kind of person, and uh, we at the time lived in Connecticut, so that was, we just traveled and did that sort of thing. The benefit of that was that we were constantly hiking. We we're out in the woods. I was constantly just running around and, and playing and having a good time. But I wasn't developing in the traditional sports, and I wasn't developing that kind of coordination. So I think what happened with me when my father ended up getting custody of us, and then all of a sudden we were in a more traditional system, and in school, I realized very quickly I was way behind the other kids when it came to playing sports. In fact, I had I really dreaded going to gym class even. Well, I'm going to bring this up um, because that was actually when you just said that, thinking of my sister who growing up has never been a coordinated person. It falls and trips and bangs her arms into things and just athletically, you know, she was tall and people would say, oh, you're a basketball player. And she would just laugh because she would say, oh my gosh, you would not want to see me play basketball. I would be a disaster. And my niece, her daughter is very much the same way, but where her strength comes in is cooking, you know, and she's an amazing chef and can cook, bake, anything that you can imagine. Whereas I have about zero talent when it comes to that. So it's just interesting how she would be fearful of any athletic event or anything like that. And that would cause her to choke and to, to freeze up and I would be fine. And you switch the roles and you put me in a kitchen and I would completely freeze and choke. And she would just, that that's her, that's her happy place. So it's just, it's just interesting how the difference is there, the way that you are grow the way you grow up. Yeah, perception is is everything. Context is everything. And well, now I know more as a strength coach. For for example, I call them kangaroo calves, but uh, kangaroos are really good jumpers. For example, and I I joined basketball when I was about eight years old, nine years old, maybe somewhere in there. I was trying to fit in. That's what a lot of my friends were doing. But you know, I didn't have the uh, the calves for it, we'll say. And of course, at back then, I didn't realize that I was mostly slow twitch muscle fiber. I was built more for the endurance side of things. And so the first coach that I had certainly didn't really know, I think, how to develop a young athlete mentally as well. And so he would say, if you miss the basket, then you take a lap. 
And I make a joke out of it, but I said I learned that I was good at running distance because I would just show up to practice and start running around the court. And he said to me, hey, Matt, you have to at least take a shot. I wouldn't even try to take a shot because I was just so used to, okay, I'll take the shot. I miss. I'm going to keep running around the basketball court. So I just thought it was just easier if I just ran the whole time around the court. And uh, really, though, that was the mentality that I had from the very beginning is just that this this coach does not uh, believe in me, didn't encourage me very much there, and I'm just not much good at this, so I'll kind of stay out of everybody's way. And then the worst thing that really happened to me there is that we have the game in front of the parents. We we have our big game. You know, this uh, back then to me it was it felt like a big game, and I'm thrown into the action and I don't know what the heck I'm doing. And so it only got worse from there. So instead of even really trying to apply myself, I just stuck with what I felt like I could do. So that's kind of my history on that. And then what I really started to realize over time is that I was really self-sabotaging myself. I wasn't really evolving in, in the way that I should have evolved. I was kind of evading any sort of pressure there where I felt like I couldn't perform. So what I think of now is the word fail is kind of an acronym, and it's first attempt in learning. That's failing, or that's fail. I think that I expected to just be good at these things and didn't realize that it takes time to learn to be good at these things. And really, you know, again, a lot of my friends had already been on the basketball team for a couple of years or a few years at this point and certainly played a lot on the weekends and things like that where I didn't really pick up any sports until I was uh, a little bit older. So looking at that mindset, I can say that's why I would traditionally choke in things that I didn't feel like I was already good at. And then, of course, in school, testing was the same way with my ADD. Uh, you give me a test, it really didn't matter what the test was. The first thought in my mind is I'm going to fail this thing. Yeah, and I think it comes to for how, how the people around you are going to react to that, whether it's your friends or, or your role model, someone you look up to, your teacher, your parents, your coach, whoever it is, if it's handled properly and you do fail because you're going to fail at some point in time, um, I think it's important as to who is around you to help explain that process to you. And, and so you actually learn from that in a positive way. And it's so much easier said than done, even as an adult to fail and try to find the, the positive in those experiences. So I think it's a lifelong lesson. And again, having people around you that can teach you the importance of that and the positive, the positive message in failing. Certainly the, the backward inward mindset, that threat mindset. And I think I'm sharing these stories and you are today because I think we're speaking to everyone out there in one form or another. And maybe a lot of people that still have this threat mindset, even regardless of your age, this stuff sticks with us. And the thoughts, I can't, I don't, I won't. These are things that we have to we want to, at least, I think, confront so we can start to see things a little differently and challenge ourselves in a different way. And taking on that forward, outward mindset, that challenge mindset, so threat versus challenge, 
We're going to take this threat. We're going to turn it into a challenge. We're going to realize that this is something that we might not be uh, inherently as good at, but if we can improve, we're evolving. And if we can learn that it's more about the process to improve ourselves, our own mindsets, but just that little bit of improvement, I think, goes a long ways with even the things that you're already good at, makes you more confident all the way around. So, for example, instead of saying, I can't kick, okay, and that's uh, right now, you and I are both in Krav Maga with Mr. Neil Fincher. Yes, and he is on um, episode 89 of the Pendola Project podcast. You interviewed Neil Fincher, and that's a great one to, to give a listen to if you haven't already. If you're interested in learning a little bit more about Krav Maga or just the mindset behind that. But I I never felt like I was very coordinated, for especially things like kicking. And, of course, being married to you, it can be intimidating because I'm watching you in your testing and your competitions, and you're kicking somebody three times in the head before I can even blink. And that's awesome to see. But in my mind, I'm thinking, I can't do that stuff. And that's not the right way to think. So Neil's been great to teach me, well, this is what you can do. You can, and actually these, some of these very basic kicks that I'm teaching you and you can do these, they're not fancy, but they work really well. And this is how you're going to really protect yourself in the real world if you ever need it. So that was a big confidence booster for me, but it took actually taking the class in the first place, which, you know, I was kind of dreading that first day, but knowing Neil, I was willing to do it. And that's, you know, for me, what has been a real game changer. And I'm a lot more confident in my kicks now. And that is affecting a lot more of how overall I'm seeing challenges and how I can meet them at any age. And for you, people say you don't <laughs> run, right? Right. Talk about that a little bit. Yeah. I was going to say, you, to your kicks to you are, are, are running to me where it's just, it, it's always intimidated me because... I've never been fast. I don't like to run for a long time, and I just feel like I'm not good at it. So I just, for a long time, just didn't do it. I didn't need to do it, didn't want to do it, so I just haven't. But lately, I've had motivation and a reason to. Spartan racing was the first thing that got me running, and then the black belt test, and then now not really having anything to train for. I didn't want to lose my what little base I have built for myself running so now we have Lily our cute little two-year-old yellow lab and she just gets so excited to come run on the trails with me and those mornings when I wake up and I just don't want to go and then in the back of my mind I think oh Lily would be so disappointed because she really looks forward to that so I have been running and I am improving slowly getting better being able to run longer and faster so it's taken some time but that is not quite as much of a um, a fear for me anymore. First of all, I think that Lily inspired you because if we can teach Lily to run, we can, we can teach anybody or anything to run. <laughs> she's, she's our yellow lab, but I tell you what, she was so uncoordinated at running. She used to run after a ball and she might catch the ball, but then she would roll about three or four times over because she couldn't even like turn the put the brakes on or she had no agility especially but she was kind of a slow dog now she's actually kind of fast and a lot more coordinated but 
uh, the reason for that was because she was stuck in a kennel the first five months of her life and did not move around at all. That was that was sad, but she's got a good life now. But, you know, it's intimidating, I think, for you to run, period, because you're married to a legendary runner. Well, that is part of it because people say, oh, you and Matt run together, and I just laugh. I'm like, no, I, I would never – I don't think we've ever even attempted to run together, but I would always compare it to – that would be like me asking you, Matt, to come take a ballet class with me. Yeah. It's and just not something that you would ever feel comfortable or even have any desire to do. And same as I would never love you, but don't want to run with you. <laughs> well, see, that, but people see you as an athlete. So where people don't make the mistake of me being able to be the black belt that you are, they, I think, make the mistake of thinking that you would run with really good economy and efficiency because you're such a good athlete, but it's just not something that you, you did much. And so that was, that was definitely, it was a while, but I think before you really started to embrace it, but you did. So Aaron does run. And this is also another little cue that I have talked to my athletes about, say, say your name and what you're willing to do, what you're doing. So Matt can kick and Aaron does run and that might sound a little silly, but it's much more effective to speak in that person about yourself. That's actually a little tip I learned at the Olympic Training Center when I was working with uh, some of the junior elites, and I heard Bobby talking to the athletes about that. And so I I am improving is something that is a very positive, engaging mindset, but it also, it's not saying that you are good at it yet or that you are as good as you want to be you're not, if if you're not as strong or as fast or as competent or as coordinated or whatever it might be that's okay to recognize that but then also understand and recognize that you're getting better at it so that's another one from Dr. Doug Hotter which is um, me and ING. Yeah. And I think that's a good lesson just in itself for, for everybody to always keep learning and growing because I don't think we ever stop or should stop trying to learn and grow. And even you keep saying, yes, I am a black belt. I did get my first degree black belt, but that again is just the beginning. I'm I, as Kelly coach, Kelly Parati has always said, you're a master of the basics. That's, that's it. I mean, there's so much more to learn not to negate what the work that I put in for that but I guess my point is that it doesn't stop there and there's always room to learn and to grow and and to to be better and to improve in in whatever you choose to do so it's that growth mindset and just constantly wanting to go to the next level I think is is also motivating feeling the fear and doing it anyway is a big part of overcoming choking and this is where we like to recognize reality. And in other words, I'm feeling this way for a reason. So I don't want to deny that. But now I have to engage in that challenged mindset. I have to decide that I'm going to focus on what I can control. And that comes back to just very basics on breathing for example so we we talk a lot about that but it really works whether you're currently breathing hard like in a sport itself or if i'm going to work on my ebook and i start to think about how maybe what i'm writing 
is going to be criticized by other experts in my field. And am I writing that ebook for them or am I writing it for the majority of the people that need to hear what I'm trying to say and what I'm trying to teach? So I have to write that book for the, the, the masses and not worry so much about so-and-so. And even when it comes to things like Krav Maga, I have to remind myself that I'm taking this lesson from Neil for me. And then even though you're right next to me and just kind of the star of the class, I have even caught myself comparing a little bit and saying, oh, man, I got to go after Aaron. I got to kick after she kicks. And that's it's a little intimidating. But then I just remember that, wait, this is. This is my process and this is for me. So I'll bring it back to my breathing. And that's where I'm in it to win it. That's kind of my mentality. And I'll have to say that to myself. Matt is in it to win it. So what do I do here? I'm breathing in my win is a simple way of thinking about it. And then I'm, that's your strength, right? And then I'm breathing out my doubt. That's my fear. So again, kind of recognizing that I do have something to work on, but also that I'm, I can do things really well right now. I might not be able to kick as high or as fast as you, but I can, I can plant my foot to the ground, get, use the stability that I do have. And I think I have decent stability so I can use that to increase my force. I can literally use my breathing and really focus on these steps of breathing out as I kick and focusing on just very simple, basic patterns. And then before I know it, I hear Neil saying, good job, that was a lot more powerful because I just focused on what I needed to do and not what you did. And I would um, say that there's something called positive denial. And that's actually something that Dr. Del Cotter just recently brought up. And it was an interesting conversation because I hadn't heard it this way before. So positive denial, let's say that, of course, I'm constantly throwing a kick, especially at the beginning of our sessions, and it's, it's not right yet, and I haven't really developed enough of the patterns consistently enough to where it's more automatic. So the first 10 minutes or so of class, I feel like I'm a little off, and then it starts getting better. So instead of thinking about how my last kick was not as good as yours, or even as good as, as my last class, I start to think a little bit more about that process of how I can stabilize better, how I can breathe out better, and how I can center myself with my breathing and my mindset better. So that's the positive deniability because I'm choosing to not think about the error I just made. And in fact, I was talking to uh, Katie Turner, who was another guest on our podcast recently, and she's a basketball player. And we're just talking about very simple concepts here. She takes a shot in, in a game, and it should be an easy layup, and she misses the shot. And her, you know, her team's behind by a point, and that would have put them ahead. It's very easy to focus on that missed shot and very easy to think of woulda, coulda, shoulda. And instead thinking about, okay, well, what, what can I do right now to get the ball back and to get the ball in the basket? What can I focus on now? 
And so that's actually positive de deniability and that's, that's healthy. So we're just not thinking about the negative parts of the past and we're just taking it, we're taking control of what we can do. So I think that works in the moment, but then like you're saying, you at some point do want to think of what you did mess up, let's say, so that you know how to improve, right? I mean, you don't want to completely ignore your, your failures because then that gets back to the point of like, well, how are you ever going to learn if you haven't recognized that you have made mistakes? Yeah, that's right. And just not overwhelming yourself and saying, okay, yeah, I'm getting better at this, but it's still not where I want it to be. That I think is a positive way to do it. And, you know, when you're listening to us or, you know, self-help books or whatever it is that you're doing to try to help yourself, I think that we just have to be careful that we're not following somebody else's advice blindly and just doing what they did because it worked for them because your process will be different. That's why I try not to speak in absolutes and saying, well, everybody should think about uh, competition in running a half marathon this way. It works for me, but it's not necessarily going to work for the other runner that I'm coaching. So we have to find that process. And then I think you build off of that with good journaling, with good self-talk, We've, we've, uh, have a good episode on your top mindset performance tips, episode 78. So you can check that out where we go over a lot of this as well, but really it, it comes down to focusing on what you can improve, what you can control, at least to me, that's what it boils down to and having fun. Like that is just, we started this podcast off talking about how you know, Mia's just having fun doing things and learning things and exploring. And why do we as adults, or even as soon as we start getting into competition, why do we stop having fun? It's supposed to be fun. And so once it's not fun anymore, I think we're doing something wrong. Yes, I agree. At any age, doesn't matter what age you, you are, you should try to find some joy in what you're doing because... Like I said, we only have this one life, so let's, you know, make it the best that you can. And why spend time doing something that you're not even enjoying anymore? I'm, I'm smiling because I'm going to say I'll finish with this. And I'm famous for saying I'll finish with this. And, and then 15 minutes later, we're still going. <laughs> right. So I'm really making a serious attempt at finishing with this right now. Okay. But... When I think we put so much pressure and anxiety on ourselves in in these fears that we have or in these moments where we think we might fail. And sure, if you're trying to get an Olympic medal and you have the whole world watching you, that's that's a little bit more, I think, evident of why you might choke. But most most of the time, I think that we're putting too much stress and emphasis on these moments. What's going to happen if it doesn't work out the way you want it to? The world doesn't end. Your family still loves you and you get to try it again. So, you know, why do we choke or why do we freeze? I think we just have to change our mindset about that. And when I'm, when I'm kicking in Krav Maga, and I have a history of not being coordinated and I'm told that I'm not explosive enough or whatever it is, 
then I just have to remember that this is just for me. I'm getting better at kicking. I'm getting better every week. I'm getting more confident. And I have a choice to control that mindset. And that's what I'm going to do. So to finish up today, I'm just going to remind you guys, we would love to get a review from you. This, uh, this whole review conversation, I've, I've uh, brought it up a few times. I'm getting desperate, guys, because we just have not had a review come in in a while. And I know that a lot of people send me direct messages. So please write that review. If you love me, if you love us, if you love the show, uh, let's get those reviews in so that we can get up in the rankings. Um, I Good intentions, I know, because I have podcasts I like to listen to, and then I realize I can't be a hypocrite. I haven't written a review for those podcasts, so that's what I'm going to do. I, I hope that it pays forward, and so I'm going to do the right thing, write some reviews for like the Industrial Strength Show. I'm going to do that this week because I love that show, and hopefully one of you will do it for us. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. Thank you very much.